Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. All right, guys, we are going to read from Matthew. Um, it's going to be chapter 4, starting in 12. Um, and it goes something like this. <clears throat> Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. In leaving Nazareth, he went went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon near Naphtali, so that it was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea by the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. For from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat, their father, and followed him. He went through all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease of every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So uh, the, the passage that Clint read for us, we're reflecting on Matthew's gospel, Matthew's portrait of Jesus. Uh, which we've been with since the start of the year, coming out of the Christmas season, and we're going to sit with for a while this front matter in Matthew's uh, story, his good news of Jesus. And today the passage Clint read for us is a familiar one. Several things happen, uh, but one of the things that happens in there is we hear a word we've heard already on the lips of someone else in the gospel, and that word is repent. Repent. So here's my question for you. Number one, introduce yourself to someone. If you don't know them, a neighbor, say hello, help someone to feel welcome. If you haven't seen them uh, or, you know, just welcome them to our community. And number two, and we're going to try this. I, I, what, what punctuation uh, comes to mind when you hear the word repent? All right. What, what punctuation would you put after the word repent? Great. You guys, what's punctuation? You guys know what I'm talking about? Right. <laughs> We'll diagram the sentence in a minute, but let's just start with the punctuation. 30 seconds, help someone to feel welcome, go for it. So I, I, I asked the question, like the word repent, I would imagine the word repent connotes a certain kind of punctuation. No? Was there a consensus in the room? I, I, I read somewhere recently, it was, I forget what, they were just describing sort of the feeling culturally, everything's an exclamation right? That feeling. Maybe you have felt it in the online spaces of your life or at work. I, I don't know, but like that everything feels like an exclamation. And I, I, I think the word repent probably does too. Like just by itself, the word alone feels like an exclamation, right? Even culturally, when we see it, when you see it on a sign on the street, right? It's repent or die, right? Like that is... That is what the word uh, connotes. 
And uh, I was, uh, I'm, I'm still sort of wrestling through uh, how, how I think or feel about it, but I came across and was reflecting on the word, and, and they said, actually, that's like, that's holding the word the, wall, the wrong way around, really, right? It's not repent or die. That the message Jesus gives us is repent and die. That all of us are dead in trespasses and sins. And you can continue on in sort of that way, or you can repent and die. Right? You, you can take up your cross, Jesus says, and, and, and follow me. You can repent and die, and in that, find life. You, you, it's, it's both, right? It's, it's both. It's, it's die to self, Jesus will say later, to self-righteousness, John has already said, right? To the presumption that you've got it enough together that you don't need to change, right? To die to self-reliance, to repent and die to self-reliance, Jesus says, and then live again with me. So, so we're going to sit with this passage of story in which this word sort of rings, it reverberates through this section of the story in Matthew's narrative today. And uh, I'll just sort of, you know, we, we've sat with him from the beginning. This is a moment where Jesus is beginning his ministry. In Matthew's telling of the story, you don't, we don't get all the details you might want to know. What was he like as a teenager? What happened, right, from the beginning to this moment? We've jumped a lot of years, but we move from his birth, which is this beautiful image. We have the image of the wise men that we sat with a couple of weeks ago. We move quickly from there into his baptism, right? He's now much older, and he's with John the Baptist in the wilderness, and this is a moment where God uh, signifies for all who will listen there is something unique about this person here. And then we we move from that baptism into the wilderness of the temptation, which we considered last week that Jesus alone is faithful, where all of us are failures, right? That Jesus is faithful. And then this week now, so he comes out of those experiences and he steps into his ministry, right? He's beginning in Matthew's gospel, sort of, this is it, right? The, the story is beginning, so to speak, his work in the world. We're going to see it happen and what it looks like. So here's how we're going to hold it this morning. I'm just going to tell you sort of where I'm going and uh, hopefully it will be helpful. Uh, we read a sort of a large section. A couple of things happened here, but we're going to consider Jesus in sort of three acts, if you will. Uh, there's the announcement of his arrival. Like he's on the scene. He's here officially, not his birth. Now he's here as an adult. There's an, an announcement of his arrival there. Uh, we'll also consider the, uh, um, the implications of his arrival in, in this story. We've seen sort of what are the implications of the fact that he is here now with this message. And then the effects, like what sort of what happens. Um, you, we might frame it around a couple of questions, right? So announcements, implications, and, and, and effects. So the questions might be like, well, what does this coming mean? And d does it, or what does it, if anything, ask of me? What are the implications for me and the effects uh, of his arrival in the world in which I live? And then we're going to finish, we're going to conclude by sort of looking at a passage we didn't read, sort of what comes next and what it means to hear what we've read today in light of what comes next. So that's where we're headed briefly because actually I got all kinds of time because the game is until two something, right? So you guys just get comfortable. There's plenty of coffee. No, okay. So the announcement, right? It begins with an announcement, one which we sang uh, already that in the shadow of, of death 
of darkness, a light has shown. We, we, we sang those words this morning. It's where the passage begins uh, in the beginning. Now, when, when, when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee, and he leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. We're given all these geographical details, but then we're told through a quote from this Old Testament book, Isaiah, that in this land, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And those, this language, so beautiful uh, to me, those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death. On them a light has dawned. Matthew is very clear, all right? He's, this is an announcement. Jesus is here. And, and the announcement is this, right? This, this means that light has come into the shadow of death. Right, that, that where previously the shadow, the sort of lingering uh, and very present effects of death are felt, a new light has been lit, if you will. Matthew gives us some historical and geographical markers, some context around this announcement, right? John the Baptist has been arrested. Significant moment in the story, as Matthew tells us. In this moment, John, who'd been looking for Jesus to be someone, now Jesus steps forward. We're taken back to themes from John's message, like repent, like God is coming to be with his people, light in darkness. But then we're given some Old Testament sort of historical markers as well. Matthew is careful to point out that Jesus is fulfilling stuff that had been written a long time ago. He's drawing us into very, very old hopes. He situates it in a, a history. What, what happens in this moment, in quoting Isaiah, which Matthew is keen to show again and again that Jesus is fulfilling these age-old aches and longings in the story of the people of Israel, the people of God. But I, I just want to hold it in front of us this morning as a reminder that the ache for things to be put right was very, very old. That for a long time, people had lived in the shadow of death and ached for life and light. And Matthew tells us, in the middle of that longing, as we sat with during Advent, Jesus comes, and the announcement is made, light is here. But he also situates it geographically, all right? So not just historically. We're given all these names that don't mean much to us, probably Galilee, Nazareth, Capernaum, Zebulun, Naphtali. I'll admit, maybe like many of you, I read things that specific often in Scripture, and I just gloss, you know, I, you know, I just move over them, right? Like sometimes, that is the thing. You look at me, and you do it too, right? Like if you even go to the pages with genealogies, you don't read those names any more than I do. But, you know, that's not to say that there isn't truth in life there. But in these geographical markers, Matthew is telling us something about this announcement, right? Uh, there's all sorts of history wrapped up here, and we don't need to step into all of it this morning except to appreciate that what Matthew is showing us in Jesus is he shows up among a people and in a place where it would not have been expected, where darkness had been for a long, long time. He's not in the places of the establishment. He's not in Jerusalem He's not in the halls of power in this moment. He's in the sort of darkest, remotest places of, 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 of those people who had been longing for light. He's in Galilee in the shadow of death. 
that death, I think, that shadow is felt in all kinds of ways in the history of their people. Politically, spiritually, obscurity, all sorts of ways. They've been living under shadow. I have, have been rereading Lord of the Rings, and it has been very hard for me not to make a reference to the shadow of Mordor. Uh, so I'm not going to, but I will maybe reference it later. But I did wonder, I did, I did wonder, like, how have you felt? How have you felt the shadow of death? It's, it, the language to me is interesting. It's not just death, right? It's not just like death, like in the middle of death, life. It's the shadow of death. It's, it's I, I don't know, the image is interesting. It's the indirect effects of death in our lives. And I wonder where you have felt it this morning. Not just like a, a close reality, but the way in which it shapes how you hold security in your life. Right? The lingering effect that death is there. And its shadow is present. And so it shapes and changes. Not only how, how maybe you have experienced it closely, but, but its shadow, right? Like how does it shape how you approach the priorities in your life or how you hold the ones you love in your life or how you handle the security of finances in your life? Like all of those things, the, the, the shadow of that sort of creeps into those places? Where have you tasted illness, the, the reminder that our bodies are headed towards a, a, a place that is dark in that sense, that we feel the effects of death? I, I wonder this morning, where have you felt indirectly the shadow of death? Matthew says that when Jesus walks into the earth, he is a light in that shadow precisely in those places a light dawns i think a few things are happening in this announcement what does it mean one of the things it means is surprise surprise jesus is here in the very shadow of death in Galilee where you would not expect him to be. Matthew was reminding us as he's done again and again and again of the surprise of Jesus despite the fact that long ago people have been anticipating and hoping and aching and there had been hints of where to look yet still it is a surprise that in the very shadow of death Jesus has come as light. He is here. He is here. Matthew says, to his readers and to you. And what this means is that even in the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you are with me. The announcement that in the midst of whatever shadows have crept into your life that maybe linger over your hearts and minds, that even there the light of Jesus is and wants to shine. What does this mean? I think it means something for the shadowy places of your heart and mine. That's the first act. If this is what Jesus' coming means, it's an announcement, and this is what it means. It means light in the shadow of the darkness of death. It raises a natural second question. What, what if anything, does it mean for me? Does it ask anything of me? Which is interesting where the story goes, right? So Matthew says, Jesus is here. This is the announcement. This is what it means, light. 
Old Testament's uh, hopes and aches are finding fruition in the person of Jesus. And then he immediately takes us to these really particular stories of Jesus interacting or calling his first disciples. We won't read them again. Clint read them for us, but he approaches these specific men, fishermen, in the midst of their daily lives and says to them very simply, follow me. Right? It's as if in light of this announcement, this good news, there is an implication for you and me. There is wrapped up in this announcement an invitation to, to repent, Jesus says, and follow. Right? It's how he concluded. Light is here. And then it says, he says very clearly, repent for the kingdom of heaven is the way Matthew will put it. God's presence is at hand. So uh, let's just think for a minute. Light is here. Uh, this is the announcement. And the implication is, uh, the implication is that we then are invited to repent and to follow. Repent. I guess I should say repent. Right? We want the exclamation point in there. Right? Uh, repent. I want to just make a couple of reflections on these two words as we hold them together. I, a word about repentance. I, you know, I think we tend this. We're not going to say everything about it, obviously. But there is the feeling, right, in, in, the, in the stream of John the Baptist's announcement in the wilderness. John's telling people, get ready, get ready, get ready. You know, God is coming uniquely. Uh, Jesus is coming, right? So this is anticipation. There is a feeling that inherent within the call, inherent within the word repent is this like, get ready, right? Get, get, get ready, Pre prepare, um, right, that if, as we'll see in Matthew's gospel, justice and peace are, are showing up uniquely in Jesus, God's way in the world. If your life has been characterized by twisted justice or disturbed peace, well, then you best, like, pay attention, right? There is inherent within the word, the announcement, there's a bit of risk here, a bit of danger, right, but also uh, hope. Right, so we heard in this way, repent, repentance, the word repent, I think it moves a little bit away from how we typically think of it, maybe. Uh, I, I probably, I don't know about you, we, we think of it as like re remorse, repent, feel bad about what you've done, right? <laughs> like that, that exclamation point conveys a lot, yeah? Like uh, you hear the word repent and, and it's, it's carry an appropriate amount of remorse for your private and personal sins. And I mean, I think the word probably includes that, but in the story of Matthew's gospel, it's a little bit bigger than that. It's, and many have pointed out, it is in fact really a, to, an invitation to change directions, to actually to turn, to, to actually like, oh, this is, this is sort of what has defined my life previously and has guided my actions and behaviors. I, I recognize now that that is not the way of life and I repent. I will, I will, I will try. I will go this this way. Instead, more than it is a feeling, it is this a total like, you know, reordering of your life around. Uh, in this case, Jesus. What is new? So repentance in this way. The first observation is that it's a, it's a change of direction. That when light shows up, now we see differently how to walk in the shadow of death where things have been obscured and, and we've been living for all sorts of priorities that, you know, may or may not lead to life. Uh, now, in the light of Jesus, we see differently and we can walk in a new direction. So uh, hopefully you hear there what is the next point. There's a bit of grace in the word repent. It's not just an exclamation point of please feel appropriately 
appropriately bad for the sins that you carry in your life. There's a word of grace here that in the light of God showing up in the darkest, shadowiest places of our lives, you see differently and can walk in new directions. So the second observation about repentance is can we hear it as a word of grace? Right? As, a, as a word of grace, this call to repentance is more than just a demand to sort of clean up your act. Right? That's what we hear, repent or die. Get your act together. Be all that you can be, right? Like, do, get it together, you. But instead, we hear, when we hear it this way, it's an invitation to grace because repent was not the only thing Jesus said. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Right? Like, he, hear the move that happens. Repent. Repent because the God who is inclined to you, even in the shadow of death and darkness, all that you carry is near to you now. Repent because God is here with you. It's an invitation, heard this way, it's an invitation to confess our failures, but not just our failures, our need for God, for mercy, an invitation to say what is perhaps one of the hardest things to admit I need help. On my own, I am wandering in the dark. I think I have it together. I look like I have it together. My righteousness feels pretty okay. I mean, I got the badges on my best. I'm doing all right. Like, but it is repentance, a gracious invitation to admit, actually, things are not as they appear. And in the midst of that confession, to hear the life-giving truth, God is at hand. He is close and with me even here. And there is light where he is. And in the light that he offers, the invitation to follow now uh, is heard differently. As, as, as these first disciples hear the invitation, they change direction. They've been doing this thing, and now they're going to like, I wonder, like what compels them to follow Jesus? Nothing in the story like, nothing given yet in this story would warrant this kind of response. They haven't seen his glory, nor do they know the extent of the pain that he will suffer, the sort of, like, giving of himself that will happen over and over and over again in his life, and yet they feel compelled to follow this young man right here at the beginning. What is happening? How are they caught up uh, in what he is doing? Which brings me to Lord of the Rings. Yeah? Right. Man. One of, we, we've sort of been, uh, one of my children has been reading them, and the other one, we've been sort of talking, and she's been sort of playing with it artistically. And uh, I, as their father, who happens to really love these things, you know, have just been sort of enjoying the ride, right? And maybe encouraging it, I don't know. But uh, one, of my, one of them came down after having read it, and uh, she had painted her nails and, and written, the, like, Elvish, tried to, like, paint Elvish script across her, like, fingernails. It's like, all right, I applaud your, I applaud your sort of creativity there, but I'm pretty sure that those are really, you know, Mordor-ish Mordor -ish sort of things you're trying to write across, anyway, your fingers. But then I was like, well, you guys are obviously caught up in the story. What? And then, I, was, I don't know, you could take it or leave it. I was like, we should get matching tattoos. We could put, like, we could get hairy ta hair, put tattoo hair on our feet, like the hobbits, and then we would, like, they're known for, like, hairy feet. I don't know. It was, it was a stretch. You guys, this is awkward. Go Chiefs! All I'm trying to say is, right, all I'm trying to say is, right, all of us, 
having experienced it, are caught, they're caught up in the story, right? They are caught up. I am caught up in it. The themes of grace and forgiveness and danger and fear, and I'm, I'm caught up, and they are caught up, and, and I, I feel like, like I, the, it begs the question, why do millions of people in the world and throughout history regularly give up, that is, repent, of lifestyles and practices that look attractive or lucrative in order to walk, that is, follow the way of Jesus? I mean, why? Why have millions of people the world and history over What have they heard in the announcement of Jesus that in the shadow of death there is light and life that has compelled them and maybe you to follow, to get caught up, not to do it well, not to pull yourself up and say, look at the adequate amount of my repentance, none of those things, simply to confess, I cannot do this on my own. I can see things differently in the light of your life. Jesus, help me follow you. Because like, man, he's only done the first two moves. He's got a whole nother one and a conclusion. What? We'll be really quick here. The third sort of act the announcement, the invitation to follow. And then, I don't know, I had trouble landing on a word here, but I really wanted to stick to this framework, so we called it the effects. Maybe it's the activity of the kingdom. We read it in verses 23, 24, and 25. Holding all of these things together, this is what it will mean when Jesus shows up. This will have an implication for you, his light in your life. There's now an invitation to follow me, to repent. To, to stay here, to keep repenting, right? To keep every day, like his mercy's new, every day. Uh, today, Jesus, my heart is still wandering, but you will pull it back here in your light. I will f- follow. And what are the effects of that kingdom? Verse 23 says that he went about, I love the language, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then a verse or two later, he'll, he'll, he'll break it down even further. He'll talk, you just you can feel it. Like Jesus is physically rolling back the shadow of death. It's been a few months ago, but I was sitting with a book um, about uh, like chronic illness by a, an author named Megan O'Rourke. And, she was just writing about that experience in the world and not from a perspective of faith, but made, I forget who she was quoting. There was a reverence in there, but talking about sort of what it's like to move through the world carrying sort of that thing. And this was the observation, uh, which I thought I found really uh, interesting. It helped me maybe see what Jesus does here a little differently. They're kind of talking about sort of how you react, how we react to like sort of chronic illness in this case. And uh, the, the author she cites... Uh, was a literary critic, and she made this observation, the world can't afford regular sympathy. It would take up the whole working day. All right, so let's just set the frame here. That like, to be, to be always sort of affronted with the, 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 the presence of, of the shadow of the effects of death would be, would, be, would be overwhelming. It would be fatiguing in human terms. Right, to be fully present to all of those things. I mean, if you work in spaces where you feel that, but just in your daily life, to sort of be fully present to the illnesses, the shadows of death in the world would, would, would be overwhelming. And yet Matthew tells us that Jesus moves freely in and among those places. And he, he brings life 
It is not overwhelming to him. He steps up under that burden and says, walk with me. And at this moment, in this particular instance, he physically rolls it, rolls it back. He undoes those effects. But maybe you still sort of live in those places. What we hear in the gospel of Matthew is that a lingering effect of his announcement and the invitation to follow him is that there he walks with you. And where the human experience of maybe carrying all of those things is overwhelming and fatiguing, Jesus says, I am here. And as we saw last week, I am here and I am vanquishing Satan and I am driving back the shadow of death. What I will do at the cross, I start now unraveling the work of the devil in the world unraveling the effects of the shadow of death. Which brings me to the conclusion. Right, if this is the announcement and the invitation, the effects of that invitation are that even in the midst of all of those things, somehow Jesus shows up and works life. Where do we land? I, I, I want us to think about where we land in light of a passage we didn't read this morning. You know what follows immediately after this announcement? We've come from the wise men, baptism, temptation, and now this beginning of his ministry, this moment of announcement, discipleship, follow me, healing, kingdom is here. What immediately follows is the Sermon on the Mount. You guys familiar? Uh, just even culturally, maybe, are we, do, do any, like we know a bit of what's in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a famous, probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture outside of maybe the 23rd Psalm or John 3.16, right? Like it's, it's where we get the Lord's Prayer in this Sermon on the Mount. It's where we get the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor, the meek, right? Uh, the vulnerable, all those kinds of things. It's where we get hunger and thirst. It's where we get, which culturally, maybe we don't know it, but we love it. Like, don't judge, lest you be judged, right? Don't come at me with your judgment. You take that thing out of your own eye before you come at me. Like, that's a posture we love. Jesus does it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's where we get, you know, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Right? You want to sort of last. We get all these images that, particularly around church, are familiar to us, but even culturally, they, they have a life outside of this place. It's an incredibly, incredibly sort of moving and powerful sermon, message from Jesus. It's what follows, chock full of famous stuff. But I want us to hear it. We'll reflect briefly on it next Week will attempt what perhaps may be foolish to hold it all together, but I, I think it's interesting that Matthew, he, he does something significant, right? Jesus' first act, what we might expect God in the flesh to do, would be to stand up on a mountain and preach, right? Like to stand up and say in this moment, all right, all right, you guys have missed it. Let me tell you how it's going to be. These are the rules, the new rules. This is what righteousness looks like. This is what kingdom with me will look like. Let's do this thing. You guys follow me. We will take over the world, right? We expect law, right? We, 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 this is what we think will happen. But in Matthew, his first act as the Messiah is not to impose commandments on the people who will hear him. It's to give himself, 
right? It's what we've read this morning. He gives of himself. He says, repent, I am light in your darkness. Come be around with an invitation to be close to me before you ever do any of the things that follow in this gospel. It's almost as if Matthew's very sort of structuring of the story conveys a bit of the grace of God to you and me. That before we ever get lost in the beautifully, and we'll consider them, the sort of grace-filled instructions of what life and his kingdom looks like before we ever get there, we are first brought into this place where Jesus like clears the ground. I am light in your shadowy, death-filled, dark places. I am light that will roll back the effects of sin in the world. I will work healing where uh, it seems to have overrun. he, He literally sort of rolls back the places in which the shadow of death is felt and invites, invites people just to be with him. Before he ever gets to the instructions on what life and that kingdom will look like. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you have held the Christian faith also the wrong way round. It's been all exclamations and repent or die. And instead to hear the invitation, repent and die. I am life and light. Let me be here with you. We'll figure out what life with me looks like going forward, but just hear the invitation to be with me and maybe you're here this morning and your your experience yours is all shadow of death and you need to hear the hope that there is light in this one maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear the word repent differently as a word of grace at invitation that Jesus has shed new light in your life he wants to be with you and you can follow him Or maybe where we landed, yours is to look for rest and life in the work of Jesus. Will you guys pray with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful that you meet us where we are, that in your grace, uh, you extend to all of us in the shadows of our own deaths um, the invitation to trust and follow you. Wherever we may be in that conversation this morning, perhaps the word repent has been an overly burdensome word. We've heard it in isolation, out of context of the God who loves us and would give himself for us so that we could follow him. Would we hear it freshly this morning? Jesus, would we hear the invitation, not just to repent, but that in the light of your presence with us, we can see, we can know life. And wherever we may be, Father, whatever shadows maybe have crept into our own hearts and lives and minds this morning, may we feel the effect of your work rolling, rolling back the shadow of death. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.